We're going to be back in the book of Obadiah this morning. Uh, those of you that have been here the last couple weeks, you know how we say it. Thank you. Some of y'all have been listening. Not sure that what that says about either one of us, but thank you anyway. Uh, before we get into this, I, can I just say something real quick? Just point of privilege. It's one thing to, we, we've been blessed here recently. We've seen God moving. We've had professions of faith and baptisms, more baby dedications than I can count. Uh, I'm still spit up free. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you for that. <clears throat> one of the coolest things we've done is uh, Father's Day last year, we had a bunch of dads ba- baptizing their kids. But can I just tell you, it, it, it got to me this morning seeing a son baptize his mom. So thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, I know that's, I know I'm not the only one that was moved by that. So thank you for that. All right, so Obadiah, here we are. Three weeks, 21 verses. I know. Traditionally in most churches, especially Baptist churches, especially Southern Baptists in the South Baptist churches, there's a tradition that you really don't mess with. Mother's Day, you preach a Mother's Day message, preferably out of Proverbs 31. And I am married to a Proverbs 31 woman, so it I would be easy for me to go to Proverbs 31 and make a few brownie points with my wife. Uh, my mom was here. We got to spend some time with her this week. She was here in the first service. Uh, could have made some brownie points with mom, but I'm breaking tradition. I'm not, I'm not in Proverbs 31 today. There's a second tradition that typically on Father's Day, you preach a message which basically tells all the dads what a bunch of lowlifes they are, and they're not living up to their God-called requirements, and they need to tighten up, you know, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Now, what the two have in common is that on both Sundays, you after church, mom picks where you go eat, and you go eat. So dads know we don't get to pick even on Father's Day, right? Um, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make a deal with you. All right, I'm going to try to protect my employment a little bit. We're going to make a deal. I'm not going to promise that I'm going to hold the tradition of Father's Day, but I probably will. But if you'll give me Father's Day, we'll have to let Mother's Day go because we're going to break tradition. and We're going to go through the Obadiah series. We're going to continue through that, and we're going to preach today on this simple topic or question. And really, it's not really a topic. It's a question that I really want you to ask yourselves as we walk through this passage, as we look specifically at verse 3. I want you to ask yourself this question, where is your confidence. Where is your confidence? I want to use our time together today to to look at that question, to look at this one specific verse, and I want to make sure that we uh, don't just look at this as a Mother's Day service, but this is a worship service where we get to come into uh, the gathering, the assembled body of Christ. We get to hear songs to and about Jesus that our worship team did a great job in leading us in, and then we have the spectacular privilege of being able to open up the living, breathing, inerrant, all-sufficient, infallible word of Almighty God. So let's do this. And and again, I want to be sensitive because I know Mother's Day is is a touchy subject for some. I know not everybody is able to have kids. I I would just encourage you to just trust the Lord with that and and see where he might want to use you in some other way. Um, I don't think you have to have given birth to a child to celebrate Mother's Day because I know a lot of people that didn't give birth to me, but they mothered me. Uh, they, they were a role model for me, an example for me. Uh, so if you're here today and you're not really in that celebratory mood of Mother's Day, trust me, my heart goes out to you. But if you're a mother today, would you stand? All the moms, would you stand? 
them. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. Stay, stay standing. Give them a pause. Amen. Now, it, stay standing. Stay standing. If you would like to be a mother one day, stand up. Some of y'all jumped up way too quick. <laughs> 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 some of y'all hopped up like y'all were going to dunk a basketball. <laughs> yeah. All right. If you have ever uh, mothered anyone, like a sibling or cousin, nephew, something like that, yeah, stand. That's the point. <laughs> if you have a mother, stand up. Now some of y'all test tube babies. I don't know about some of y'all. That, that should have got you up. Y'all, 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 y'all had to think about that way too long. If you had a mother, stand up. And some of y'all were like, yeah. All right. Got you standing. Let's read the first four verses of Obadiah. Now, we read these a couple weeks ago, but I think it's good to hear all of these in context so we can pick out. Now, again, we're going we're gonna to really land and spend our time in verse 3, but I want us to look at the context. The, the first verse says, the vision of Obadiah. So, in other words, this is what God gave to Obadiah and told him to go and tell the people of Edom. This is what the Lord God has said about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy has been sent out among the nations. Rise up and let's go to war against her. Look, I will make you insignificant among the nations. You will be deeply despised. Here it is, your arrogant heart has deceived you, you who live in clefts of the rock, in your home on the heights, who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you seem to soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars, even from there I will bring you down. This is the Lord's declaration. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our moms. Thank you for all of those who... Uh, in some way or capacity, help minister to and mother uh, those that need it. Father, I pray that everybody here would be celebrated today, but most of all, that you would be celebrated, that you would be lifted up and honored, and you would speak through your word, King Jesus, for your glory, we pray it, and we pray it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing I want us to look at in this passage, and again, primarily in verse 3, is the condition of the heart. The condition of the heart. He says, your arrogant heart has deceived you. Now that word arrogant in the Hebrew is zadon. And it means presumption, pride, or the most proud. It, it's not just that they had a little bit of arrogance. It's not just that they had a little bit of pridefulness. It's that their hearts had, had turned into this arrogant thing. And it was influencing everything that they thought and everything that they did. While they should have thought... Uh, I should be kind to Judah, our, our estranged brothers, if you will, because of the separation between Esau and, and uh, Jacob. Remember, that's where we had this split. So the Edomites were descendants of Esau. Rather than saying, hey, uh, our forefather forgave his brother, we should live at peace with Judah, Edom had decided to take every advantage they could to, to, to revel in the mistreatment of Judah, to celebrate the misfortunes of Judah, to take advantage of the downtrodden uh, times that Judah had experienced. And, and God had suffered that for a certain period of time, but he finally just sent Obadiah to say, that's it, I'm done. This is different from most prophecies because he wasn't saying you need to repent and turn. 
You need to change and God will relent. He's saying, no, 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 no. You've crossed the threshold. God is done with you and he's going to wipe you out. It's just a matter of time. So we see that their, their arrogance was, was at the core of their being. Now, we have two different ends of the spectrum. You have arrogance and then you have uh, humility. Uh, we talked about that with, with Jesus, that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus modeled for us humility. I'm of the mindset that most of us live somewhere in between real Christ-like humility and total arrogance. Now, I'm going to just tell I'm not going to try to push that on you. I'm just going to tell you I believe that because I know me. And here, here's, I'll just land here with, with, with that. Most of you, all of you, I think, but April, have not known old Kev. Now, some of y'all have seen flickers, <laughs> but you did not know me, B.C., before Christ. The me that I was before I came to Jesus, the me that I was when I grew up and, and the things that I went through and the things that kind of shaped me, uh, until, until Christ wrecked my life at 26, you didn't know me. And I'm glad of that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I don't have to deal with baggage every week of having to look out and see people that old Kev mistreated and hurt. And by the way, if you had been around him, he would have mistreated you or hurt you if it furthered his own agenda. Why? Because I had moved myself from the humility end of the spectrum completely to the arrogance end of the spectrum, the prideful, the selfishness end of the spectrum. I was a selfish person. I was a hateful person because I only did what benefited me. If I did something nice for you, it was because I thought it was going to somehow benefit me. Now, when I came to Christ, that all got broken. Now, it didn't go away instantly. It was something that had to wear down. But the more I study Scripture, the more I see myself, my flesh, in light of who Jesus is, the less arrogance I can have. Why? Because if you can, listen, if, if, if Joey compares himself to me and he thinks that is his threshold of how Christ-like he needs to be, he's going to have a pretty easy go of it. But if he compares himself to Christ, which is what we're called to do, he's going to constantly see less of Joey and more of Jesus. He's going to see that he needs to decrease just like John the Baptist did. John the Baptist, of whom Jesus said, there's none greater born of women than John. And yet John looked at Jesus and said, you must increase, I must decrease. So because I know old me, I know that my predilection is arrogance, so I have to continually check myself. However, sometimes you need a little bit of pride, you need a little bit of backbone, so there's times when I have to go, okay, but, but I, need to, I need to stand firm in this. It's not arrogant to stand firm on what you believe. The arrogance comes in when you start believing that you stand firm in what you believe because you believe it. No, no, no. I stand firm in what I believe because the Bible says it. If it's my opinion, this is the greatest team, this is the greatest food, this is the greatest whatever. If it's my opinion, then that's arrogance that I stand in it. I don't stand in that. I stand in the, the, the Word of God. I stand in what Christ has told me about himself and what he says about me. If I don't listen to Christ telling me good things about me, and I only listen to my own psyche telling me the bad things about me, I'm going to be really dis destroyed. I'm going to be no use to anybody. Does that make sense? All of us, I believe, are kind of somewhere in that spectrum. Some of us have uh, humility to the point that we, that we just can't stand for anything. And some of us have arrogance to the point that we only stand for what benefits us. The, the middle ground is kind of hard to find. We should be moving towards the humility of Christ, but it seems that we move towards 
the, uh, the selfishness and the arrogance. Why? Because we were all born with a terminal condition. It's called life. And in that terminal condition, we are also given a, 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 an internal enemy that is our heart. An arrogant heart is a poisoned and poisonous heart. If you have an arrogant heart, it's like a cancer. It, it's not just satisfied to, to be in you and be poisoned. It starts to be poisonous. It poisons your thinking. It poisons your relationships. It poisons how you, how you spend your money. It poisons how you think about things. It, it'll poison everybody around you. You end up being like a rabid porcupine. If you have an arrogant heart, you end up being a rabid porcupine. No matter whether people try to touch you or try to, whether you attack them, you're still going to hurt people. Arrogance and pride, you can always tell it in your relationships because your relationships are going to suffer. How, externally, pride really kind of uh, reveals itself in the relationships that you have. The more you uh, are prideful and arrogant and selfish, the more you hurt those around you, and the more evident it becomes the longer you live. All of mankind is born with this terminal condition called life. However, our very existence in this physical reality assures our continuation in the eternal reality, the spiritual reality. And, and that spiritual reality is what's really important, but it's hard for us to grasp that because we are temporal currently right now because we live in a temporal body. So, so the, the arrogance of the heart is, is a dangerous enemy because it's an internal enemy. It's, it's almost like it's, it's camouflaged within our own self. And sometimes it's so camouflaged that we listen to it thinking it's going to lead us in the right way. Uh, you know what the, the problem is? It is? Your heart is a liar. Your heart is a liar. And by the way, if you're mad at me saying that, don't get mad at me. Talk to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? The King James says it is desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. It's not redeemable. It's not refreshable. It's not turnable. It is terminable. We are born in this miserable situation where we have a terminal condition called life and we have this poisonous, deceitful, desperately wicked thing inside of us and that's a hopeless condition for where we are because we can't fix what's wrong with us. We can't, we can't remold and rebuild our own heart. We're not capable of doing that. You know why? Because when you start trying to remold and rebuild your heart, your heart is going to tell you don't do that. That's what frustrates me so much when I hear people say, oh, just follow your heart. Don't you follow that line, rascal. Follow your heart and see where it ends you up. You'll be in a hot mess. Why? Because your heart is single-tracked, singularly, singularly focused on doing whatever it wants to do, whatever benefits it. Has no concern with those around you except how it benefits it. If you listen to your desperately wicked heart, it will lead you into problems. And, and here we are, okay? Everybody here, here we are. We're born with this terminal condition, and we're born with this poisonous and poisoned heart. Everybody feel good? Let's go home. It's Mother's Day. That's a cheery sermon. Man, what y'all learn at church today? Well, we said Happy Mother's Day. We found out we're all going to die and we have a poisoned, wicked heart. But see, here's the thing. We don't end there. Because that's where God stepped in. Listen to what he said through the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I will give you a new heart. I'm not going to try to fix your corrupted heart. I'm not trying to get you to do the better thing. and, and not, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm put a new spirit within you. 
I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Why is that important? Because a heart of stone is not malleable. It's not moldable. We are being conformed. Romans, Romans 8 tells us we are being conformed into the image of Christ. And to be conformed, you must be mashed and pressed and pulled and molded. And you can't do that with a stony heart. So God takes that stony heart out and he puts a flesh heart in. He puts a malleable, bendable, shapeable, moldable heart in so that you can be conformed into the image of his son. That's what God did. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 2 and 3. He says, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Listen to this. On tablet, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You were born with a terminal condition. You had a desperately wicked, poisoned heart inside of you. And God didn't leave you like that. When you submitted to the Lordship of Christ, He took out that heart of stone. He put in a heart of flesh. And then He wrote the message of Christ on that heart. So that you can be ambassadors for Jesus. There's a deadliness to arrogance that makes it harder to stand against than most enemies that we face. The Edomites found that out the hard way. They had done to them what the serpent did to Eve. And how, do, how do you say that, Brother Kevin? How do you prove that? Well, because let's look at the word. The word deceive in the Hebrew is nashah. Nashah, and it means to lead astray, to delude, or to morally seduce. So your arrogant heart has nashah, has deceived you. You know where else that word turns up? Genesis 3.13, listen to what it says. So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. The serpent, same, same Hebrew word, don't miss that, nashaw. The, the Edomites had their heart deceive them. Eve had the serpent deceive her. Have you ever just wondered what it would have been like if somebody in the Garden of Eden had had a hoe? They could have just found that serpent and just taken that hoe and just lopped his head off? Maybe a 410. I, I do that if I find a serpent. Uh, if y'all have a snake and you really like it, you better keep it away from me. Because I don't like snakes and anything that looks like a snake. What if somebody could have just wiped that serpent out? I want you to hear me. The fact that Eve was deceived by the serpent led to the original sin, but the original sin was really Eve thinking she knew better than God. I'm of the mindset that if the serpent hadn't deceived her, her arrogant heart would have gotten the job done. That's how deadly, that's how serious it is for us to understand that our enemy is within. Our heart is evil and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We have to have a heart transplant if we're going to survive this life. That's number one, the condition of the heart. Number two, the cleft in the hill. The word cleft is a crevice. Uh, kind of a hiding place within a rock. And it says, you who live in clefts of the rock. So who has had their arrogant heart deceive them? Those who lived in the clefts of the rock. And what rock are we talking about? We're talking about a mountain. See, we have a, a poisoned and poisonous heart, and their, their arrogance that was already being, their, their heart was being deceived, or their heart was deceiving them by their arrogance, but it was also because of their conditions, their situation, their circumstance. They thought they had it going on. They thought that they were impermeable. They thought they were, they were 
secure, that nobody could ever touch them, no, no army could come against them, nobody could move them because they had put their confidence in where they lived. Now, I, I can understand why they did that because, and we're going to see that in just a second. It says in the cleft of the rock, he's talking about their fortified cities. He's talking about Edom's confidence in the city in which they dwelt, that they had built, that they moved into. It was actually a city built into a mountain. It's called Petra, which is uh, known as one of the seven wonders of the world. It was only accessible through narrow canyons with cavernous mountain walls, and it was featured in the 1989 film Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It was located about 50 miles south of the Dead Sea, so it's south of, of uh, Israel, uh, in the southwest part of modern-day Jordan. And its buildings covered had temples, they had uh, uh, theaters, they had all these different places, uh, government offices, had all of it, and it covered over 400 square miles in this mountainside. For centuries, Petra seemed secure in its fortress of rock, but today it lies in ruins, which is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Obadiah. Let's look at those pictures real quick. Here's the first one that most of you probably recognize. Did everybody see the movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? It was really good, uh, and it should have left it there, to be honest with you. But uh, it should have been the Last Crusade. But, but look at that. that that's the, one of the buildings. And you see how they've actually hewn it out of a rock. They, they've, they've chiseled and, and shaped and molded it out of a rock to make it look like a building. But it's not a building as we build a building. It, it's actually carved out of the rock. So you go inside, and it opens up into this big cavern where they would set up their city. Go to the next one. This is another picture. just shows the expanse. Look, look at the... Do you see that picture and just think power and security and safety? Look at that. You're literally... You're, you're, you're like no hurricane is going to blow that over. No tornado is going to blow that over. It's literally built into the side of a mountain. Show the last one. And this is how you would get to it. You see how narrow these little walls are? And you see how high they are? Every military strategist that has ever existed would tell you, don't take your army down this little narrow canyon trying to go get them. They've got you hemmed in. They've got you pinned down. All they had to do was throw stuff on you from the top. Now, again, nowadays we've got mortars and missiles and bombs and, and bunker busters and guns. It's not as much of a secure building now. But imagine back when they had swords and shields and spears and maybe bow and arrow. They, were, they had it going on. So these people would try to come and attack the city. They would go, well, there they are. Let's go down there and get them. And they would just, they'd line them up and shoot them like ducks in a barrel. So, so they, had a, they had a reason to have their confidence. I'm afraid that maybe we in America are turning into them, the Edomites. See, I think we think we're impermeable. We're impervious to any kind of attack that nobody can get us. We're Americans and we're above everybody else, and look at our economy, and look at our vast military, look at all the power we have. Can I tell you, Rome thought the same thing, and what happened to Rome? Anybody know? They rotted from within. Rome was not beaten militarily until they rotted, they decayed from within. They had no morality, no moral fiber, no moral structure. It was, everybody, it was kind of what they said in Judges, I mentioned this the other day, that everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and all of a sudden, Rome collapsed from within. And I'm telling you, if you put your confidence in, the, in, in America, you put your confidence in a political party or political system, you put your confidence in, our, in our, our name recognition, our cachet to say we're Americans, if you put your confidence in that, you may end up being just like the Edomites were, where you put your confidence in the wrong thing. You see, the word rock in Hebrew is Selah. And in Greek, it is Petra. Isn't that cool? The Greeks use the word Petra, which is the same name as the town in Jordan. See, 
that word is used by Jesus. That word Petra. In Matthew 7, maybe you'll remember this verse, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the Petra, the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, but it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Let me tell you something, this, this morning, you need to understand that no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your situation, no matter what your condition, your house better be built on the rock, Jesus Christ, the Petra of Jesus Christ. Because if it's not built on Jesus, it's built on shifting sand. If you build it on your confidence in a political party, you build it on your confidence in the American military, which I love our military, but that's not where I'm building my confidence. If you build your confidence on your own name recognition or your 401k or your status or your ability, some of you graduates, you build your foundation on your graduation, on your diploma. You build your, your foundation on any of these things. It is like shifting sand. The storms of life are coming, and if you're not built on the rock, the Petra, Jesus Christ, your life is going to be wiped out. Edom's pride was bolstered by their geographical and geological security. It was, they were located on a high plateau, uh, and their city was located in the rock. H here's the problem. They were putting their hopes on the fact that they were in a cliff in a rock, not the cliff in the rock. L look at Exodus 33. Moses is on the mountain. He's speaking to God, and he says, I want to see you. And God says, if you see me, you'll die. But I'll tell you what I'll do. Verse 22, Exodus 33, he says, Here is a place near me. You're to stand on the rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice or cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take my hand away. You will see my back, but my face you will not see. Do you all know what happened when he did that? He saw God's back. So God puts him in the cleft of the rock. He covers him with his hand, and he walks by. And Moses looks at the back of God as he has passed. When he went down the mountain, he glowed so much. He radiated glory, the glory of God so much, they had to put a veil on his face to stand to be around him. That's the cleft that we need to find ourselves in. When we find our peace in anything but our place in Christ, we are resting in the wrong place. Does that mean we're demeaning all these other things? No, it's just we're talking about preeminence. What has preeminence is Jesus. And I put my faith in him and I, I build my life on him. He is my foundation. Everything else will just have to take care of itself. I'm putting my faith and my foundation in Jesus Christ. The psalmist said in Psalm 23, a, a very familiar psalm, the, 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 I mean, one of the, one of the most powerful psalms that, that we have. In verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know how you can eat at leisure in the presence of your enemy if you're in the cleft of the rock? Not a cleft in a rock, but the cleft in the rock. So we have the condition of the heart, we have the cleft in the hill, and number three, we have the certainty of the hearing. Now, a hearing refers to a formal proceeding before court. One day, every human being that has ever lived will go to the final court and will meet the ultimate judge. That's what's going to happen. It's been foretold. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, if you want to go read it for yourself, it talks about what's called the great white throne judgment, where everyone who has ever lived will stand before God. The book of life will be opened the Lamb's book of life, and all will be judged according to their works. 
Death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire after this is done, along with anyone whose name is not found in that book. In other words, everyone who hasn't surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, your name, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, your name is not in the Lamb's book of life. And, and when, when that book is opened and checked, the judge will say you're either there or you're not. And if you're not there, you get cast into the lake along with death and Hades. And that's what's going to happen. That's the judgment. That's the, the certainty of the hearing is that God, just like God said through Obadiah that he was going to wipe out Edom, God is saying to you and I that we're going we're gonna to be standing before God in judgment one day and we better make sure that our name is in the book. Because of our heart's condition, because of our flesh, we are prone to believe in our own arrogance. All of us, if we're not careful, we start thinking to ourselves, it's funny because it's Mother's Day, you know what, my mom was right, I really am special. You know, I, I really am special. I, I'm really, I'm, I really am the best. I thought mom was just saying that to make me feel better, but you know what, I think she was right. If you're not careful, that's what your heart will get you to believe. Remember, what, what, what is your heart? It's evil and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But, but, but if you're not careful, because it is poisoned and poisonous, it's like a cancer, that arrogant heart will start to convince you that you don't need Jesus. That arrogant heart will start to convince you that he's not going to sit in judgment. That there's no such thing as all this stuff. This stuff is not real. Can I just tell you, I tried to be an atheist. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. If you believe in the Big Bang, but nothing was there to bang it, if you believe in Darwinism and we're evolving, go to social media if you think people are evolving. <laughs> I've been around 50 years. Y'all, in 50 years, we have devolved terribly in 50 years. There used to be a certain amount of just common decency. That's gone. Common decency is uncommon. It's like common sense. I think they're both extinct. You cannot tell me that we crawled out of the primordial ooze and we just happen to evolve the way we have so that we function and think and feel and emo we have emotions. You can't convince me of that. By the way, if, if everything just came from nothing, y'all got math problems. Nothing times nothing. And I'm quoting, I can't think of the name of the song now. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. All right, you got to have something. Keep it going. All right. Woo, squirrel. But I'm telling you, if you're, if you're relying on your own intellect to figure this thing out, good luck and Godspeed. I tried it. I was not successful. Without an immovable mover, without something supernatural that is preexistent that said, okay, I'm going to create, I'm going to form, I'm going to make. Everything that we know had to come from somewhere, right? If, like I said before, how many, if you stood when I said if you had a mother, stand. You, had, you all had to stand. Why? Because you had to come from somewhere. You didn't appear. You didn't just went and one day we walk out and look and say, hey, there's a baby. Everybody, who, anybody ain't got a belly button? Raise your hand. <laughs> I know well I got a good one, but I'm going to talk to me later. I'm going I'm 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 to spare you since it's Mother's Day. That's my Mother's Day present. I didn't say what I was about to say. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> if you got a belly button, that shows you had an umbilical cord. If you got an umbilical cord, you was in a womb. If you was in a womb, you was in a woman. And by the way, that's how that works. You had to come from somewhere. So did everything else. 
Well, everything was in an infinitesimal little speck, and it was spinning. It was in a super black hole. Where did the black hole come from? Well, it was just a something supernatural, something preexistent had to create it. And if it did, then you better do the best you can to figure out who that is and find it. Why? Because he's in control. I said this the other day. It took about 915 or so years for this prophecy to be fulfilled. But it was fulfilled. See, we can think that we're okay and this judgment isn't going to happen, but I'm telling you, just as sure as you woke up this morning, God said it, it's going to happen. It may not happen when you think it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Just because you haven't seen God's judgment yet doesn't mean that it's not coming. Edom rocked on thinking they had it under control, thinking they had everything like they wanted it, and nothing was going to happen. And all of a sudden, God said, now's my time. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. And Edom was wiped off of the face of the earth. They found out that God doesn't let sin go on unchecked, unforgiven, unrepented of, and unpunished forever. Again, 2 Peter 3, 9, one of my favorite passages. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Here, here's a question for you this morning. Maybe you're sitting there and you're doubting God, you're doubting this judgment, and you're thinking, well, if God was going to judge, why hasn't he already done it? If God was going to make everything new like he said he was going to do, new heaven, new earth, New Jerusalem, if he was going to do all that, why hasn't he done it yet? Here's a question for you. What if God's waiting on you? Listen to me. Don't check out on me. What if God, in his infinite grace and mercy, is withholding his wrath and his judgment, waiting for you to turn your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe you're sitting there with an arrogant heart that tells you you don't need Jesus. Maybe you're sitting there with an arrogant lifestyle that says you don't need anybody. And God, out of, his, out of his rich love, is just holding back his judgment so that you can repent of your sins and know Christ so that you don't have to be thrown into the lake of fire with death and Hades. What if he's waiting on you to repent of your sins and trust Christ for your salvation? We'll close with, with this. <clears throat> I did some odd research when I was working on this message, I can't explain why. Um, you know the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon? Have y'all heard of that? Where you're like, if you find one person, you can go seven different things and you'll find some connection with a Kevin Bacon movie? Maybe that was what it is. I don't know. I, I, I look at weird stuff when I'm trying to research because I'm really trying to, I'm trying to look at as much as I can so that God can give me what he wants me to say. And I hope that's what this is. Otherwise, it's going to be pretty stupid. So I, I got, somehow or another, I got to research and judge shows. And there's like 5011 judge shows. There's good Judge Judy. There's Judge Joe Brown, I think. There's some other. There's a bunch of them, okay? And if you watch those, seek professional help, please. <laughs> Get a hobby, crochet, do something. How many of you remember Judge Wapner? All right, if you remember Judge Wapner, you probably need to set your colonoscopy. You never need to get with your doctor and, and go ahead and maybe check on your, you know, your retirement accounts and so anyway, so I start looking at these judges, and, I, and it, I, this is the way I think. I'm like, now, they're not a real judge, right? And how do they have jurisdiction? You can't just claim jurisdiction. You have to be given jurisdiction by the federal government, the state government, or the local government, even though many people in HOAs think they, have, they, they don't. But you have to be given jurisdiction. So how did Judge Judy, who gives her jurisdiction? Judge Judy just shows up, sits in a black robe at a big desk, and hits stuff with a hammer, and talks ugly to people, and they go, 
Well, you know, you got to do what Judge Judy said. So I researched it. Here's what I found out. You know why these judge shows work? You're going to love this. They're really just arbitration hearings. Two people, the plaintiffs, agree to sign a contract, a legal contract that a real judge has said is legal. And in that contract, they say whatever this judge determines, we're going we're gonna to be bound by that. So they really don't have any jurisdiction other than the fact that the two parties involved sign a contract to say that whatever they say, we're going to go with. So, so whatever decision they make is, is only binding because the two parties have entered into an agreement to make it binding. Did y'all know that? Is that news to only me or somebody else? Get that? All right. I want you to listen to me this morning. When you were born, when you cried your first cry, took your first breath, you signed a contract with the creator God of the universe. By being alive, you have entered into an agreement that his ruling is final and binding. And there is no other power, there's no higher power to take it to to try to contest it. There's no way to fight it. There's no way to get out of it. There's no legal wrangling you can do to, to extricate yourself from this situation. You are in a contract with the creator God of, of the universe and he is going to sit in judgment over your life. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but one day. And whatever he says in that judgment is final. So let me ask you the question that we started with again. Where is your conscience? If you're going to stand before God in judgment, you need to answer that question. Where do you find the confidence to stand before God? If it's listening to your heart, you're going to be severely disappointed. And if, if I could, if there was anything that I could do to make you see that and make you repent of your sins, I'd do it because I was like you. I, I was lost and I thought I didn't need anybody. I didn't need God. I, I'm my own man. I, I'm the master of my own universe. And if I died before I repented of my sins, I'd have gone to hell. If you put your faith in America, American military, political party, political structure, you put your faith, your confidence in uh, some movie star, some pop singer, some athlete, you put your faith, your confidence, even in your sweet mother, as, as wonderful as I'm sure she is, if that's where you put your confidence, if you're trying to get into heaven on the coattails or, or skirt tails of your granny or grandfather or mom or dad, you're going to be sorely disappointed unless you put your faith and confidence in God. Psalm 118.8. Some say it's the very center verse of the Bible. I, I don't know. There's different, I've seen different things. It's, it's pretty close to the middle. And you got to think, how amazing is that that God put 66 books together of the Bible? He, he told these founding fathers of the church to, to look at that. And these are the 66 books that I want you to make into the Holy Bible. And, and in the middle of that, and near the middle of that, there's a verse, Psalm 118.8. And you want to know what Psalm 118.8 says? It's better to put your trust in God than to put your confidence in man. Very center. Right in the middle of everything the Bible says, he tells us it's better to put your confidence in God than to put your confidence in man. If you put your confidence in anywhere else, you're hidden in the wrong rock. Put your faith in Jesus. Would you stand with me?
our worship team is going to come and lead us in one more song. And, and listen, I, I'm not naive. I, I know that most of you are just waiting for this thing to be over so you can go to lunch with mom and maybe give her her present or, or celebrate her. But can I just, just lean in here for just a few more minutes? Let me ask you a question. Where's your confidence? Have you put your confidence in yourself? Have you put your confidence in a church membership, a baptismal certificate, a, I walked the aisle, I shook a preacher's hand, I'm a good person? Listen to me, none of those things will get you to heaven. None of those things will allow you to be judged rightly by the creator God of the universe and say, he's mine or she's mine. Only if you have submitted yourself to the Lordship of Christ, if you've surrendered your life to him, that's where your confidence needs to be. Build your house on the rock that is Jesus Christ. If you're here today without Christ and you want to come and make it public that you want to repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ, the Bible says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here and you've made that profession of faith, but you just say, Pastor, I haven't been living like that. I've been living for myself. I've been selfish. I've been living my own life. I want to repent of that, and I want to rededicate my life to Christ. As always, the invitation is the time that if you need prayer, if you need to join the church, move your letter, all of those things are, are open, but specifically today, I want you just to take a minute and just say, Lord, am I saved? Have I really given my life to Christ? Have I submitted myself to Christ? Is that where I find my confidence that I can stand before God in judgment one day and know that I won't be cast into the lake of fire? I'm going to say a short prayer. When I say amen, don't wait. Don't look around and see if anybody else is moving. If you know that you're lost, you need to come up here today and you need to profess Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and your word. Thank you for the truth of it. God, I pray that I haven't messed it up. I pray that I haven't diluted it. God, I pray that you would speak clearly today. And Lord, I pray that you would call the sinner to salvation. I pray that you would call the lost to come and give their life to you. Father, I pray that for the glory of King Jesus, you would draw boys and girls, men and women, to come to faith in Christ. God, we give this time to you. We trust you with it. We pray for the glory of your name that you would save the lost. We give this time to you. We pray it in Christ's name. Move, move Holy Spirit. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.